0: Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast by Precept Ministries Canada. Come discover God's truth for yourself by studying His Word and deepen a personal, transformational relationship with God. You are listening to the series, Contend for the Faith, the Book of Jude. Hello everyone, Mark Sheldrake here, National Director of Precept Ministries here in Canada. Thank you for tuning in to Unlocking the Truth podcast. This is a ministry of precept here in Canada, and we're so thankful for your support, for your listening, whether it be on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or you're checking us out on YouTube. Welcome to the podcast. We are working our way through the book of Jude. This is episode four. Uh, we have a lot to cover this week, and so uh, Lord willing, it doesn't go way, way over time. Just a couple things for you to check out on our website. Go look at our online training and our in-person training workshops. Keep an eye out for the Problem with Evil Conference coming to a location near you. We're looking forward to getting together and studying why does God allow suffering in the world. Also, remember that uh, if you have been impacted by precept ministries in any way, uh, go on over to the website, click on the Give button as we are looking for 2,500 new people this year to give $100. That's $2 a week to the ministry, or $10 over 10 months. And uh, that money goes to ensure that all of the training that we offer is completely free, that we continue to offer everything that we do uh, at no charge to the participants. And so... A great investment into a great ministry who is standing by the truth of God's word, uh, considering that we're looking at contending earnestly for the faith here in Jude. This is what precept is doing. We're using the inductive method, observe, interpret, apply, teach people how to study God's word for themselves so that they can uh, be able to stand firm in these last days that we are living in. Let me pray and let's get right into. This week's episode Father we do thank you for all that uh, we have seen so far in the book of Jude this this small book filled with a lot of great information for transformation Lord as we look at this week and this week's episode I know that there is a lot of information to cover but Lord by the power of your holy spirit you will help us to discern what uh, we are looking at, help us to understand it, and help us to apply it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, episode four, folks, uh, one more episode to go before we dive into First Peter. Looking forward to getting to First Peter. Uh, next episode will be, what is our role in contending for the faith? How do we do that in 2023? I uh, can't wait to get to that one filled with application. Also, this week's episode, looking at uh, the false teachers, how to recognize false teachers and what does Jude tell us about that. Last week, we looked at the three examples of God's judgment of the ungodly in the Old Testament. We looked at Israel. We looked at the angels. We looked at Sodom and Gomorrah. And again, a reminder that the entire letter's focus is the call for us to contend or fight for the truth of God's Word. I guarantee there's no different in the message that we are looking at today. This is the main focus, but a part of contending for the faith is for us to recognize false teachers. Uh, We have worked our way up to verse 9, but I want to draw back into verse 8 because there's a couple characteristics in there of some false teachers that we want to pay attention to. All right, so the first thing, let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh, reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. Uh, There's a few characteristics here that we want to draw and focus in on. Here's characteristic number one. Uh, These false teachers, uh, they have false visions. All right, so uh, is that happening today? Absolutely. There are people that are claiming by dreams that they have Been given a new truth or a a new word from God that they need to present uh, that is going to open the eyes of all believers to see Scripture in a whole new way because this is what God has told them in their dream. Uh, The word dream uh, in the Greek is onar and uh, it is used in the Gospels. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter uh, 1, verse thir- uh, chapter 2, verse 13, chapter 2, 19, 22, and then over in Matthew, chapter 27, verse 19. One of the examples uh, in Matthew is when uh, the angel comes to, uh, to Mary in a vision and a dream and talks about the coming of Jesus. But dream here in the book of Jude is used in uh, the same way, but it's also used in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. It's a different word than the word used in the Gospels. Uh, This is uh, a dream that kind of focuses on, or the definition focuses on, uh, receiving a message. And the way that it's used in the book of Acts, it's used, uh, when Peter refers to the apostle, uh, or to the prophet Joel, and when Joel is talking about the coming of Jesus, all right, and the coming day of judgment. Uh, we also see this word uh, dream used in the Old Testament, the, the word dream and vision used in the book of Daniel, when God spoke to Daniel. We also see it in the book of Genesis when God spoke in a vision or a dream to Joseph. But the important thing to note is these false teachers, they are claiming that their dreams are divine truth, a new truth, which really their new truth is just lies and deception, uh, distortions of the truth. All right, so they're They're just using these dreams to give themselves authority to be able to proclaim that they have a new message from God. This new message from God, in their minds, replaces God as the authority and then puts them as the authority on the subject that they are looking at. Uh, Whether it be the second coming Christ and what that's going to look like, or uh, a new way to look at something that is culturally relevant to kind of apply it and put together. Uh, We're seeing this happen now. People proclaim that they have dreams and visions, and God has spoken to them concerning different topics, and thus they should become now the authority of this topic when we know uh, it's just made, made up. Uh, things that uh, they've brought out with their own mind. All right, here's characteristic number two, just from verse 8. They defile the flesh. Uh, These people, they're immoral people. They uh, indulge in the flesh. They have no control over their sinful desires. In verse 19, of Jude, it tells us these ones, these same people, they cause divisions, they're worldly minded, but they are devoid of the Spirit. They do not have the Holy Spirit in them. If they don't have the Holy Spirit in them, they have no help in how to control the desires of their flesh. And so they pursue the things that their flesh tells them to pursue, uh, which are immoral and sexual sins and and uh, all of these corrupt things that are against the Word of God. These, these individuals uh, defile the flesh. Characteristic number three from verse 8 about false teachers, they reject authority. These people, they demand to rule their own lives. They refuse to submit to Jesus. Verse 4 tells us that. Verse 4 says that uh, the, the certain people who crept in unnoticed were long beforehand marked out for the condemnation. They're ungodly persons who turn the grace of licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So they deny Jesus as Master and Lord, and they won't let Jesus lead their lives. They want to lead it themselves. Characteristic number four that comes from verse 8, They revile, or as the ESV says, they blaspheme against angelic majesties. Uh, So these people, they have no respect. They have no reverence for these angelic majesties. They're completely disrespectful in all points. Uh, In verse 9, It starts with the word, but, and so we're going to be working through now verses nine all the way to verse 19. And let me tell you, oh, this is just packed. I'm, when I was preparing this, I thought this podcast is going to be like two hours, but we're going to go through it quickly and we're going to, we're going to get a good understanding of the scripture as we work our way through. So these men, verse 8, by dreaming, defiling the flesh, rejecting authority, and reviling angelic majesties. Verse 9 is a contrast to these men. And it looks at Michael. It says, But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment. Uh, but said, The Lord rebuke you. All right, so let's just look quickly at verse 9 and see what we learn about Michael. All right, so the first thing we learn just from verse 9, Michael is the archangel, and, and it looks like he was in a battle with Satan about the body of Moses. All right. It says here also that Moses did not dare pronounce judgment against the devil. All right. So uh, this story, you might be thinking to yourself, where have I read this in Scripture? Know if I've read about a battle between Moses and the or between uh, Michael and Satan over the body of Moses. Well, this story is actually recorded and is called the Assumption of Moses. It's written in the pseudopigrapha. Uh, it's not part of the Canon of Scripture, but it is a part of the Jewish writings. and it was written between 200 BC and 200 AD. But what we do know and what is important for us to look at is the fact that Jude is using this, to prove a point, uh, it's bigger than battling about why Jude is using the example of the archangel, which the archangel did not act outside of the authority of God, and so a part of the assumption of Moses is that God gave authority to Moses to or to um, the Michael to bury Moses. But the devil, because he reigned on earth, wanted the rights of where to bury Moses. And so uh, regardless of all of that, the key point here that is being made is one group of people, these men, revile angelic majesties. But Michael, being one of these angelic majesties, did not leave his place of authority and position and begin to do things that he should not have done. Let's take a little bit closer look at Michael himself for a moment. All right, and so let's look into uh, the book of Daniel. And so in the book of Daniel, we'll we learn a little bit more about the importance of this individual, uh, Michael. All right, so we're going to look at uh, Daniel, chapter ten, uh, verse. 13. All right. So in Daniel chapter 10, I promise I'm going to find it. It's really hard to find things in the scripture when you got all these microphones and and things right in front of you. All right. So Daniel chapter 10. All right, so Ezekiel and Daniel, we're getting there. All right. Daniel 10 verse 13. And listen to what is written regarding Michael. All right. It says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the king of Persia. So it looks like here that there's a battle going on with the angel who is speaking to Daniel and uh, a battle against this uh, this supernatural person in the kingdom of Persia was withstanding him for for 21 days, and then Michael, the chief prince, the archangel, came to help this other angel against the prince of Persia in battle. Okay, let's look at verse 21. That also comes up. It says, uh, however, I tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. All right. And so Michael, the archangel, he stands firm with this other angel in battle against uh, these powers and princes that come against him. All right. He, this Michael is also mentioned in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Now at the time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since uh, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. All right, so what is Michael according to here? He's the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. And this is written, to, this is, uh, written for Daniel, and it's talking about uh, the days of the Lord. So, Michael is the guardian over Israel. He's Israel's guardian angel, in which, because we see in the previous passages, we see this prince of Persia, that there maybe have been guardians over these different nations. But here in this case, we know that Michael was the guardian over Israel. All right, he's also mentioned, Way back at the back of the Bible in Revelation. And so let's look at Revelation chapter 12 uh, verse seven. So in Revelation 12 verse 7, it says, "And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, waged uh, war. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place. For them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So what do we learn here? Michael wages war with Satan. I love that verse eight. Verse eight is very encouraging for us, because as he wages war, We know that the devil is not strong enough to be able to beat or defeat Michael, the archangel. So if we look at verses 8 and 9, we've got this really strong contrast. In the same way, these men also by dreaming, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they blaspheme angelic majesties, according to the ESV. In the NASB, it says they revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, Michael did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. All right. So uh, Michael, the contrast here, on the other hand, he was the great prince. He was the mighty angel. Uh, He stood guardian over Israel, but what he did not do, he did not blaspheme or slander the devil, but he left the entire dispute in the Lord's hands to handle. He says, the Lord rebuke you. He doesn't rebuke him himself. He points to the Lord as the one who will rebuke. This is one of the big contrasts. This is the difference. Michael, uh, respects his authority, his position, and he respects God. These people here, they just blaspheme. They reject authority. They go outside of it and do all the things that they want to do out of the, their own pursuits and their own desires. Uh, continuing through let's look at verse 10. Verse 10 is another clear indicator of these false teachers and their ignorance and lack of respect. It says, "But these men, they revile the things which they do not understand, and the things they which they know by instinct like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed." So both Jude and Peter, they compare the ungodly like unreasoning animals. We'll look at that passage a little bit later. But they revile the things, it says they revile the things that they do not understand. Uh, Notice here that Jude also says that uh, the things that they know by instinct, these false teachers, they follow their own feelings. They follow after what they have in their gut instinct that they know is right. Uh, They don't understand it. He also compares them to uh, unreasoning animals. The unreasoning means without a word. Here's what one scholar wrote regarding these false teachers when it comes to verse 10. He says, no matter how highly educated apostate teachers are or false teachers are, how profoundly philosophical they think they, their teaching is, or how many mystical visions and insights they claim to have, they are still like brute animals. Romans 1.22 says that they profess to be wise, yet they became fools. And with all this self-made wisdom, this instinctual wisdom, all these smarts that they believe that they have, this, these insights and visions and all these things that they've got to give themselves some, of a, some authority and power to sway people, it says, by all of these things, they will be destroyed. Uh, we see this. We see this happening today. We see Uh, The intellectual uh, individuals who come out, they proclaim because of their study and their intellectual insight and their new word from God that they now become the authority on the subject, and therefore this is the way that we should we should follow and we should look at the word of God in this way. And if we don't look at it in this way, then uh, we just have this old style thinking or where you know patriarchal old old folks just thinking about the Word of God in the way it shouldn't be. Again, let me just preface this. It doesn't doesn't matter how it's worded. It doesn't matter how it's worded in the book of Jude. It still comes back to the very same thing that Satan said in the book of Genesis. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how well, you think all these visions have come out as these false teachers proclaim, they're still asking the same question. They're still using the same play from Satan's playbook. Did God really say that? It hasn't changed. It's not going to change. Even with all those smarts, it still becomes, did God really say that? And when we know and we question the word of God and we question the very voice of God, when we become an authority over the word of God, And we start to teach things that are not of the Word of God. All of these things, they lead to judgment. Let's be clear, these false teachers, the the statement that was set out for them in verse 4 is, they deny the Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 19 says, they are devoid of the Spirit. These people are not saved. These people are living a life so far separated from God. They're only serving self. It's it's an unreal picture here of the comparison from Michael. And let's be clear, Michael had the authority. He had the power. He had the power to blaspheme. But he didn't. He left all of that to God. These men, they don't even know what they're doing. They don't even understand. A lot of times, if you, if you can really grasp on and listen to what a false teacher is saying, it's just a whole bunch of words without a, lot of, without a lot of substance in there. There's not a lot of truth that's coming with it. Be aware of all of these things. The things that they know by instinct. I, love, I loved one, one definition of that was by feeling. They know the things by feeling. Isn't that 2023? Isn't everybody in the world doing everything by feeling? And if you don't feel the same way, then you are either forced to confirm to that feeling or get canceled. Allowing gut instinct over fact and truth. These are the problems that we face today, and this is what's happening within this group of believers. Look at verse 11, because verse 11 uh, begins to, to change the the text of this and it says woe to them for they've gone the way of Cain for pay they've rushed headlong into the air of Balaam they've perished in the rebellion of Korah Uh, (laughs) uh, the word woe there uh, you can find that word woe in the Old Testament quite a bit some A lot of the minor prophets, if you went to look at the, at the book of Amos, you would see the word woe mentioned very uh, numerous times. Uh, woe is one of those, uh, look out, judgment is coming. Uh, woe and judgment are directly linked together within Scripture. Look what he says, he compares them again. He compares them to three Old Testament examples. Just like he compared them before uh, as those who were um, subsequently destroyed uh, for those who were marked out for condemnation, which we looked at in our previous episode. The angels uh, who did not keep their proper abode. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah uh, was the other example. And then Israel themselves. All of those three examples uh, marked out for condemnation because of sin. God hates sin. Verse 11, we've got uh, the three examples. We'll look at them each individually. The first is Cain. Uh, you can look this up and uh, look through Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Uh, God accepted Abel's sacrifice and he did not accept Cain's. Scripture tells us that Abel's sacrifice was by faith. Uh, because Cain's sacrifice was not accepted, he killed his brother. Uh, because he killed his brother and God called him out for that, he was cast out of the presence of God. Genesis chapter 4, verse 16. In the eyes of God, Cain's deeds were evil. Uh, example number two is Balaam. Balaam, who seemed to be a prophet who was doing good, When he was offered a large amount of money, and this is found in Numbers chapter 22 to chapter 25, he was a prophet who was doing well. But when he was offered a large sum of money, this large sum of money was offered by Balak, the king of Moab, with one purpose. And the purpose was for Balaam to devise a plan for Balak to lead Israel into the sin of idolatry. And God judged Balaam for this. The third example is Korah and the sons of Korah. Korah, in the story, is found in Numbers chapter 16. He had a number of people with him, and together, as Levites, they challenged Aaron's position as priest. They, too, wanted to be priests. But, you see, the problem was that God set aside Aaron's line to serve, to serve as priests. Uh, they didn't like this and they wanted, because they wanted to be priests themselves, and they were going against the commands of God. That the earth swallowed them up, and God judged them for this behavior and for this sin. Here's the interesting thing about these three examples. All three of these examples, Cain was in the presence of God. Balaam was a prophet, supposed to be speaking for God. Korah was a part of the Israelites, and they were all judged. You see what Jude is doing here? is Judas saying woe to those people those people who crept in unnoticed they were a part of the group of people of God's people but they were acting in a manner that was not a part of God's plan and purpose in obedience and because even though they were among God and his people, God judged them. He judged them for following after their own desires and their own wills and not being obedient to God. Well, he continues into verses 12 and 13 here, and he, he says, Woe to them in 11, and then he tells us in 13, 12 to 13, this is what he warns us. He says, he says to them, These ungodly people, these men, they're hidden in your love feasts. They feast with you without fear. They only care for themselves. They're clouds without water, carried along by the winds. They're autumn trees without fruit. They're doubly dead and they're uprooted. They're wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. They're wandering stars, whom the black darkness has reserved, forever. There's a there's a lot of comparisons here of the ungodly to what we see, with these examples, from creation. First of all, Let's look at these the facts of these people. They're hidden in the love feasts. They do it without any fear. They're that bold to go and sit there, they don't care. They only care about themselves. He says that they are clouds without water. You know, my son, he, he hates the rain. Uh, he hates the clouds, and he usually has some sort of meltdown. Now, to preface, he he has autism, and so uh, he loves to have the sun out. Uh, who doesn't love to have the sun out? But when dark clouds are in the sky, and, or it's raining, or it looks to rain, he begins to melt down, and he says, I just want the sun to come back and the clouds to go away. You know what? It might not even be raining on the ground. But he looks up in the clouds, and he sees the dark clouds, and he goes, you know what? Dark clouds mean that rain is coming. Here, listen to what Jude says about these men. These men, they are like dark clouds. And you know who loves dark clouds? Farmers. They love dark clouds because the rain waters the fields. To see the dark cloud in the sky, and yet, hey, it's quite possibly rain is coming but then there's no rain. This is what Judah's saying. Uh, They are clouds without water. A hopeful promise of something to come from that cloud, but it's just a dry cloud with nothing in it. He says that they are uh, a tree without fruit. Uh, Fruit trees, their purpose is to bear fruit. You plant an apple tree in the hopes of getting apples. If apples don't come on the tree, the tree is dead. This is what he says. They are doubly dead and uprooted. They're wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam, wandering uh, like their own foam. You know what? Watching the waves crash against the rocks. Earlier in 2023, I was in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and it doesn't matter. Every time I am in Halifax, I make my way to Peggy's Cove. I love going to Peggy's Cove. I love sitting on the rocks, and I love watching the waves crash against the rocks. But you know what? As they crash against the rocks, you can see the foam that's building up. And you see it begin to take over the rocks, and here he says, that foam that builds up from those wild waves crashing is their shame. It comes to the forefront. It's a result that comes. He also compares them to wandering stars for whom the blackness has been reserved. Uh, Some scholars believe that this is the example of a shooting star. That for a moment you see the bright light, the, the greatness of that light, but in the end, it just goes dark and is gone forever. The star is gone into the black darkness, and he says, just like that star, so too these men are reserved for darkness. Judgment is coming. Uh, let's look at verses uh, 14 to 16 as we wake, work our way through uh, these, these verses. We've got all these characteristics now of the false teachers. We know because they're false teachers that judgment is coming. And then listen to what uh, Jude writes in 14 to 16. It was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesy, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousand of his holy ones came to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him these people are grumblers finding fault following their own lusts they speak arrogantly flattering people for their own for the sake of gaining an advantage hmm. well What does Jude do? He goes back to the Old Testament again. Enoch, uh, in the book of Genesis, he prophesied about the judgment of the ungodly. Genesis chapter 5 tells us that Enoch uh, did not die. Uh, So, what we know is his job was to prophesy against those that would judge. Uh, Enoch, also mentioned in the Pseudepigrapha, but we won't address that too much. We just know that Enoch prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord will come with many thousands of his holy ones. Enoch prophesying about the second coming of Jesus. And so look what he says here. He says, and first, before we move on, let's look at this word, the holy ones, for a moment, because there's some differing opinions on the holy ones. Of course, there is, because many interpret scripture differently. The holy ones here referred in verse 14 can refer to either, some say, refer to believers, some say, Refer to angels. So, what is it? Or is it both? Well, here's one thing for us to remember as we work through scripture Context is king. Context is always going to be king. Immediate interpretation, looking at the verses above and the verses below. The entire section that we're looking at begins with the principle of these men. They dream, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they blaspheme angelic majesties. And who does Jude begin to point at? Michael, an angel. And then he talks about how these men, they revile the things they do not understand, and they're destroyed. Then he points out to the fact that there's Cain, uh, Balaam, and Korah, that they're hidden in the reefs, that Enoch pronounced judgment, and then we begin to look at cross-references. There are a number of cross-references in Scripture, in the Old Testament, that refer to the Holy Ones being the angelic majesties, those angels that will come. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 31, refers to the angels coming and blowing trumpets. Uh, we see the trumpets blown by angels and the bowls uh, poured out by angels in the book of Revelation. But there are passages in Colossians and some of the other New Testament letters that point to holy ones being the saints who will come and return with Jesus. But because of context being king here, if we look at verse 15, these holy ones, what is their purpose? What are they going to do? They're going to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly. There are references within Revelation and within the Gospels where we will come back as holy ones, righteous people, and we will rule with Jesus. But a lot of the passages in Scripture, they point to the angels who are going to execute God's judgment. And so the interpretation that I'm likely to go with, because context is king, is that these angelic majesties, these holy ones that will return, are the angels. The holy angels that will return with Jesus, and they will execute judgment upon the ungodly. All right, so I Matthew 24, verse 31 really, really helps us see that. Revelation really helps us see that the angels are the ones who will execute uh, the judgment that is to come. And they, the people, they're going to be judged for all the harsh things which they have done and when they have spoken against God. Listen to a few more characteristics in verse 16 of these. These ungodly people, what they do, uh, they are grumblers. They find fault. They follow their own lusts. They speak arrogantly. They flatter people for the sake of sordid gain. I want to look at these things a little bit closer for a few minutes, and then we come to the end. Verse 16 first tells us they're grumblers. What do they grumble against? Uh, I don't believe that these people are complaining about the drums. They're not in the church complaining about these type of things, or, you know, I didn't, didn't get this, or I didn't get that from a certain person. These people, they're grumbling against the truth of God's Word. These are people who, who don't like what God's Word has to say, and so they're going to complain about it. Why are they going to complain about it? Because it's probably contrary to what they believe is what the scriptures should be taught. Again, what is it? It's, did God really say that? It's not changed. They're grumbling against the truth of the Word of God. Uh, they're always finding fault. Verse 16, they're grumblers, they're finding fault. What are they finding fault with? Again, I don't think these people are finding fault with the pastor said he'd be in the office from nine till noon and it's 1130 and he's not there. Well, Mark, that seems very specific in an example that you're using. Yes, yes, because I've heard it. But that's not what we're talking about here. Remember, these people deny the master. They deny Jesus. And so what do they find fault with? They grumble against the truth of God's word, and they find fault with God. They complain about his purpose and his plan. Why? Because his pur- God's purpose and God's plan does not align with their agenda. You see, what is their agenda? Their agenda is to follow after their own lusts. They are in pursuit of themselves. They're so self-centered that they would rather have their desires fulfilled than that of the plans and purposes of the kingdom of God. They're so self-centered that they would question and grumble against the word of God because it does not fit with their narrative. Does it sound like today? Does any of that sound like what's going on right now in our world? Do you think people are happy with what the Word of God says and that the Word of God is truth? No. They're not happy about that. Do they want certain passages changed because it doesn't fit their own desires? Absolutely. Do they grumble against the plans and purposes of God? Yes, they do. It's very interesting, and it's quite the controversial topic in the world today, but the whole principle and idea of climate change. Could there be anything more? And let me pause because I believe we need to be a good steward of what God has given us. But could there be anything more focused than the fact that I could change the direction of the entire world by something that I do when God has a plan and a purpose for his creation? That I could save the world. Hmm. It's very interesting. Of course, it's controversial. I mean, that's the buzzword of today. Is we've got to solve the climate crisis. Hopefully, I don't get any emails on that this week. But we've got the principle here of putting. Man's will above the will of God. Look what else they do. They flatter people for the sake of gaining an advantage. You know what these people are? They're really good at telling people what they want to hear versus proclaiming. The truth. And you know what my prayer is every single time I sit down in this room and I begin to record this podcast? Is that I will not back down from the truth of the Word of God to tell people what they want to hear. Do I want to go out with a purpose to offend people? Absolutely not. I want people to go into the Word of God and study the Word of God for themselves. But you know what? Sometimes the Word of God is offensive, especially to people who are pursuing their own desires and their own passions above the plans and purposes of the will of God. And it will offend those who are in, pursu- in pursuit of their own desires. I pray every day that I'm not one of those people who just wants to tell people what they want to hear. The day that that occurs is the day that this podcast shuts down. You see Jesus he he talked about this. He talked about the, these principles in Matthew chapter 5 verse 18. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, uh, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all of it is accomplished. You know what? God is going to fulfill his plan and his purpose for his creation, for his people, and he is going to fulfill the word of God. And a part of fulfilling the word of God is that he is going to judge the ungodly. These people, they're grumblers. They find fault. They follow their own lusts. They speak arrogantly. They flatter people. They tell people what they want to hear. Why? So that they can gain advantage. These are the ways to recognize the characteristics of false teachers. When they stop teaching truth, be aware. Look what he says in verse 17 to 19 to close out our episode this week. He says, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions. They're worldly-minded. They are devoid of the Spirit. Well, let's look again at these ones. What are they doing? They cause division. Do you think people who are pursuing their own desires, their own passions, and their own will above the will of God are going to butt heads with those who pursue the plans and purposes of God's will through His Word? Absolutely. But you know what else they do? Is they flatter people. They build them up to get what they want, to get them on their side. And what does that do? Causes division in the church. Be aware of that. Don't allow truth to prevail. What did he say at the beginning of this letter? Fight for the faith. Fight for truth. Don't allow division to occur. If you don't want division to occur in your church, disciple people in the word of God. Keep them on the plan and purposes of God's word. If you're looking for a way to do that, I've got one. It's called inductive Bible study. Teach people how to observe, interpret, and apply God's word. Invite us to come to a church and teach the word of God and how to study the word of God keep people unified in the Word, that the Word of God is God's very voice. What else do they do? They're worldly-minded. Well, what does that mean? It's they're conformed to the teachings of the world, and they're more focused on the world and whatever the world offers more than they are the truth of of God's Word. They want to conform to the world. And that's what the world wants right now. The world wants every single person to be the same, to not think for themselves, to follow and come in line with the same agenda and the same purpose, which is all about self. None of it is about following. The word of God and being obedient to God. Just today, in before listening to and getting ready to record this, I heard an article, I heard a um, newscast from CNN of a man who was talking to somebody else about something that they were going through. And the reporter or the news anchor, or whatever you want to call them these days, the commentator, he praised the individual and said, Thank you. I'm so glad that you're following your own truth. Doesn't that summarize the teachings of the world today? A congratulations for not following the truth of God's Word, but for following whatever is your truth that's worldly minded the word of god teaches to die to self live for christ be of the same mind paul says imitate christ or imitate me as i imitate christ there to be imitators of jesus We're to be followers of the truth of God's word. Look what else it tells us. They're devoid of the Spirit. These people aren't saved. People who pursue their own fleshly desires, that deny truth, that deny Jesus as Master and Lord, that revile and blaspheme angelic majesties, the people who are ungodly and set out for destruction, they do not have the Holy Spirit. You're looking for the greatest marker in what a false teacher is. They're a person who does not have the Holy Spirit in their lives, and if they don't have the Holy Spirit, they are not saved. Be aware. They cause divisions. They're worldly-minded. They are devoid of the Spirit. Folks, this is happening today. You need to be aware that there are people within the church. They've crept in unnoticed. Maybe they sit beside you at the potluck. They're not afraid to be in your presence. They have the right words to flatter and build up those who are weak in understanding God's word to come along on their side, to build themselves an army within the church to cause division. Their sole purpose is to please the world and not please God. These people aren't saved. But they're there. They're saying all the right things. They sound like you. They sound like me. But their heart is not one that pursues Jesus. It's one that pursues self. So what does he tell us to do? There's a couple things in Scripture he tells us to do, but we know, we know from this passage right here in Jude, he says, contend for the faith. Fight for the faith. You need to know what's going on. You need to know who you're up against. You need to know your enemy, and you need to know the workers of your enemy who are sitting in your love feasts and in your church, the people who have crept in unnoticed. These We've given signs today to be able to recognize these individuals and pay attention to them. Be aware. Call them out. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure that has been entrusted to you. Guard the truth. Contend for the faith. Protect the truth at all costs. Ensure that only the word of God is taught and spoken, that you're not allowing people to infiltrate the church with a new message from God. There are no new messages from God. We have the full counsel of the word of God. There's no new dreams and visions. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know what happens in the end through the book of Revelation. Be aware that people have crept in. Be on guard. Protect at all costs the truth of the word. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. (laughs) Guard the truth. Don't get caught up in the discussions of what's going on in the world. Keep your eyes on the prize. Guard the Word of God. Know that the Word of God is truth. That the Bible is absolutely essential and necessary for every believer, and the Bible is completely sufficient for you and I. It's all we need. We can go to the Word of God and we can get the answers we need for life. You need hope, go to the Word of God. You need comfort, go to the Word of God. You need to know about the future, go to the Word of God. You know how to deal with your finances, go to the Word of God. God's Word is all we need. Fight for it, contend for the faith. Don't allow the false teachers of the day to rule to bring these false messages and sway people away from the truth of god's word fight for the faith folks fight for the faith father we do thank you again for all that we have seen in the scriptures lord i pray that as we've opened our eyes to what the scriptures have told us in these examples again these false teachers and the characteristics that they carry make us aware of whether these people are around us. Maybe we're listening to some of these people. Guard us, Lord, protect us, but also give us the courage and boldness to protect your truth in the world that we're living in. Your word is so vital for us. It's absolutely vital and necessary for both salvation and sanctification. When it's watered down, it loses its power. Help us to people who guard the truth at all costs. May we protect it, and then may we entrust it to men who will be faithful with it. Father, continue to use us to further the kingdom of God here in Canada. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this series of Unlocking the Truth with Precept Ministries Canada. Visit our website, preceptministries.ca, to find workshops and studies both in person and online that will further your journey in His Word and give you the tools to know God deeply and live differently.